There's an old saying. Few great men finish well. Few great men finish well. Thankfully, that could not be said of Daniel. By the time we get to Daniel chapter 6, Daniel is probably in his late 70s, early 80s. Despite many difficulties, Daniel had lived a faithful life before God and man under the reign of three kings, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, and now, of course, King Darius. He had been faithful both to his God, Yahweh, and to his earthly kings. And now here, Daniel, in these twilight years when you'd expect him to perhaps uh, retire peacefully and take life easily, here in the latter stages of his life, he is still facing difficulties and arguably the most difficult test of his life to date. This reminds us that the evil one, the enemy of our souls, Satan himself, wages a war of attrition, knowing that it will be great gain for him and his kingdom if he can neutralize the impacts of God's servants in the final stages of their lives. If the evil one, my friends, can neutralize God's servants towards the tail end of their lives, then it inevitably calls into question all that has gone before. Wouldn't you agree? And so the way we run the final lapse of our lives seems to me to be of great importance indeed. One of my spiritual heroes, as you know, is the late great Scottish saint Eric Little. Brilliant rugby union player for Scotland. Brilliant sprinter in his day. When Eric Little was asked about the secret of his success when running the 400 meters, he said this, I quote, The secret of my success in running the 400 meters is that I run the first 200 meters as hard as I can, and then with God's help, I run the second 200 meters even harder. The Edinburgh Evening News reported upon Eric Little's Olympic triumph of the 11th of July 1924, when of course he won the gold medal in the 400 meters. And the paper wrote, it was the last 50 meters that meant the making or the breaking of Eric Little. Friends, I put it to you. That it will be the last 50 meters of your lives, so to speak, that will make, that will be the making or the breaking of your lives as Christians. And as we none of us know when we're going to be called to account, it matters how we're living today. Few great men finish well, but Daniel, he finished well. He could echo the words of the Apostle Paul, couldn't he? I have fought the good fight. I have run the race. I have kept the faith. If you were, and I, if we were called to account today, could we say that? Could we echo those words? 
five very quick, don't worry Lord, very quick, simple thoughts. Notice Daniel at this stage in his life was without question distinguished. The structure of government is given to us in the first two verses of Daniel chapter 6. And we read there in verse 3 that Daniel was so distinguished that the king planned to put him in charge of his whole kingdom. Wow! Are you not impressed by that? Boy, oh boy, I am. He was so distinguished that the king decided to put him in charge of his whole kingdom. I put it to you, a kingdom that was in those days considerably larger than the United Kingdom is today. Daniel was distinguished. What were his distinguishing factors? Well, I could keep you here all day. But two particularly, there were quality factors. Verse 3, we read that he had exceptional qualities. We know these to have been perhaps the the quality to interpret dreams. He had, it seems, exceptional wisdom. But there were also integrity factors. Verse 4, notice it's written there of Daniel. They could find no corruption in him. Boy, oh boy, how we need men and women in public circles today of whom this could be said. They found no corruption in him. In him, Daniel, it seems, was the embodiment of that which we read in Micah, Micah 8 verse 6. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does God the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I put it to you, Daniel was this kind of man. Daniel is a man of integrity in a shady world. Daniel is a man of purity in a dirty world. Daniel is a man of stability in a shaky world. Such a man, someone inevitably will always rise to the top. Now, of course, you would think that such a man would be loved by everybody, wouldn't you? But not at all. Because my second point is that Daniel, whilst he was distinguished, he was despised. Verses 4 through 9 tell us quite clearly that his colleagues were jealous of him. They were jealous of him. Thus, they tried to find cause to accuse him. But they could not. Isn't that something? They They tried to find a way in and through and by which they might accuse Daniel. But they could not. Daniel's 9 to 5 routine was such that they could accuse him of nothing. God permeated the whole of Daniel's life. His diary, his desk, his decisions, his timekeeping, where he went, what he did. God permeated everything. And in spite of their best efforts, they could find no charge against him. I wonder if people like this were exploring our lives. Could they find no reason to charge us? Do our uh, nine to five routines 
show quite clearly that God permeates all that we do, all that we say, all the time. This was the kind of person Daniel was. And so these jealous men hatched a plan, a trap, to plot Daniel's downfall. It makes you wonder what was the basis of the spite and hatred, doesn't it? Daniel hadn't trampled on them in any way on his way to the top. What was the basis of the hatred? Well, it seems to me that they could not forgive Daniel's unswerving commitment to his God. They could not tolerate the fact That in spite of 60 years of pluralism, in spite of 60 years of syncretism, they could, these could not affect Daniel away from his God. People who only have small gods with a small g cannot stand those who are faithful to the almighty, awesome God, capital G. This posture remains equally unacceptable in our day. The social climate of our day is pluralistic. It is syncretistic. The issue is no longer truth. The issue is tolerance. And when we stand for truth, we're breaking the rule of today's society, the rule of tolerance. Alistair Begg says, if we proclaim Christ as Lord and Savior, then we are accused of arrogance. If it is not true, then we are arrogant, he says. But if it is true, then we are obedient. If we stand for truth, my friends, look out. Look out. Traps will be set for us. We will be hated. We will be misrepresented. Our integrity will be called into question. Surely, friends, this Daniel stuff is dangerous faith, is it not? Oh, he was distinguished. But because he was so distinguished, he was despised. Secondly, he was disciplined. Verse 10, the conspirers' plan. Well, it would only work if Daniel would be consistent. The only thing his colleagues, it seems, could depend on was Daniel's disciplined consistency. The only way the plot would work was if Daniel would be consistent. They knew that Daniel's commitment to his God was not spasmodic. And so when they went to his house, they went to his house not to see if he was praying. They went to his house because they knew he would be praying. Would you agree? They went to his house not to see if he was praying. They went because they knew that Daniel was consistent. That Daniel was faithful. That Daniel, three times a day, got on his knees and prayed to God. For Daniel, this wasn't a display of defiance, my friends, in the face of this edict. It was a display of faithful discipline. And in verse 13, the latter part of verse 13, his accusers said to the king, he still prays. He still prays. Daniel's God-feared life was not a series of short sprints, but a long country run. This open window in verse 10. My friends, this wasn't a display of pride. Not at all. 
For Daniel, the crisis did not prompt the prayer life. His praying was already so much a part of who he was. It was something that he did not have to think about. Daniel prayed three times a day because Daniel prayed three times a day. E.M. Bounds, in his wonderful writings on prayer, says, What a man is alone on his knees before God, that he is, and no more. Ouch. What does that make me? What do gathered is alone on his knees before God that he is? And no more. What does that make you? My brother, my sister, what you are alone on your knees before God that you are. And no more. Daniel prayed three times a day because it was his tradition. He prayed three times a day. The Lord God Almighty Jesus himself went to the synagogue on the Sabbath because it was his tradition. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. Do gather and I worship on the Lord's day twice on the Lord's day because it's my tradition. Because I worship on the Lord's day twice on the Lord's day. Now you might call me legalistic. <laughs> Strange, isn't it? When we do physical exercises, it's called liberation. When we do spiritual exercises, it's called legalism. You want to label me a legalist? I'm fine. Daniel was a legalist. <laughs> he prayed three times a day because he prayed three times a day. He was disciplined, and because he was disciplined, he was dumped, verse 16. Daniel's discipline led him to being dumped in the lion's den. By way of an aside, it's interesting, I was reading a scholar this week who suggests concerning the lion's den that our society, <laughs> we place a ramp for the animals and we have a hole for the victims. <laughs> interesting thought, isn't it? Every putrefying culture will take more concern for its animals than it does for its people. We have a ramp for our animals. We have a ramp for the whales. We have a ramp for the dolphins. Arguably, that's fine. And we have a hole, a horrible hole, down which we flush aborted fetuses and babies. We throw conviction down holes and we march animals on parade. That's our society. That's how it was for Daniel. <laughs> they had a ramp for the lions into the den. They threw him down a hole. He was disciplined. And dumped. The evening, it seems, passed without anybody eating. The king didn't eat. And the lions didn't eat. And the king didn't sleep. It's an interesting book, Daniel, isn't it? It's a book for insomniacs. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar couldn't sleep. Belshazzar couldn't sleep. Darius couldn't sleep. I wonder whether the rulers of our nation can sleep. I wonder. Can we sleep? He was thrown into the lion's den, and we've heard the story already this morning. I don't need to go into detail on all that that meant. But my friends, wonderfully and fifthly and finally, notice how Daniel was delivered. He was delivered. My friends, isn't God a wonderful God? Isn't he a wonderful God? And in verse 22, he gives testimony. My God, he says, my God has delivered me. 
Notice he, he didn't attempt to, to, to take any of the, the plaudits. He didn't attempt to, to claim it was because of who he was, how brilliant he was, how wonderful he was, how faithful he was. Not at all. He simply pointed the finger towards heaven and praised his God. And that's how the servant of God ought to be. It's easy, isn't it, to take the plaudits when people are patting us on the back. Not so easy to lift up a hand towards heaven and say, My God is an awesome God. And what you see is because of his faithfulness, because of his wonderful deliverance. Joyce Baldwin hope helpfully observes, whilst Daniel claims that he has been spared because he was found innocent, verse 22, that is innocent of the charge brought against him, the narrator claims that it was because he had trusted in his God and both are true. He was found innocent before God and man. And because he was found so innocent, it brought glory to God. And what a turnaround. What a turnaround. Here we have one of the most extraordinary conversions in the entire scriptures. Wouldn't you agree? Here was this pagan king. Pagan king, my friends. King Darius making this extraordinary proclamation in the verses 26 through to the end. He is the living God. Now you'd think Daniel was saying that, wouldn't you? Not at all. Such was the impact of Daniel's faithfulness. Such was the impact of Daniel's discipline. Such was the impact of Daniel's life. Even a pagan king was forced to proclaim, He is the living God. And He endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never amend. He rescues and He saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He rescued Daniel from the power of lions. My friends, this is what a faithful life can do. Do you believe it? This is what a life that is abandoned to God can do. This is how you and I might impact our locality for the sake of God's kingdom if we remain true to the word of God. Oh yes. In a world full of syncretism and pluralism and hedonistic pursuits, in a world full of materialistic gain, in a world consumed with me, myself and I, my friends, if we yield to Christ, we surrender to Him, if we put Him on the throne of our lives, if we, like Daniel, pray three times a day because Daniel prayed three times a day, regardless, then we will impact this locality. With the power of the gospel. And we will convince men and women, boys and girls, that our God is an awesome God. But if we stay stumb, or if we go with the flow, or if we compromise our position, or if we don't want to rattle the cages of society, then the impact will be as we have it today. Look around, friends. The impact will be as it, we have it today. We need to live for Christ. And it means, my friends, surrendering ourselves to Him afresh. How you see, I did that yesterday, Pastor. Bless you. What about this morning? 
Ah, you say, I committed my life to Christ a year ago. Hallelujah. But what about this year? Where are you with Christ today? If there were to be an investigation by your enemies into your life now, would there be enough evidence to incriminate you for the sake of the gospel of Christ? Would there? What Doug Atherton is alone on his knees before God, that he is. And no more. 